You're tuned in to the thinking out loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you, featuring author, speaker, and minister. Michael Nimmons. want to welcome you to the Black History Month edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We're calling it Motor City Mavens edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Happy Black History Month to everybody in the world. And so uh, we are so very excited to be sharing with you interview excerpts of interviews that we've had uh, from three of our favorite journalists on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Rochelle Riley. I was livid. I wrote a column chastising people for this kid who was brilliant and a Harvard graduate wanting to come back to Detroit when we needed young people to come back to Detroit and not being able to find a job. And he got 16 job offers. Riley, legendary, iconic broadcaster John Mason. What guided me to radio? I was walking down the street when I was about 14 years old. And uh, I went past an apartment as I was about to enter a store. And I was going to take a, a different route home. And Emmy Award winning journalist Jamel Hill. As long as white people value their white- whiteness over the humanity of everybody else, we're going to be in this moment forever. It's time, 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 They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We honor those who walked so we could run. We must run so our children soar. And we will not grow weary, for we believe in the power of an awesome God. And we believe in this country's sacred promise. May he bless those warriors of justice no longer with us and bless the United States of America. Thank you, everybody. Hello and welcome to a brand new edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And I'm your host, author, motivational speaker and minister, Michael Nimmons. You're tuned in to the show that's giving voice to issues that matter to you. want to welcome you to the Black History Month edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We're calling it Motor City Mavens edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Happy Black History Month to everybody. Uh, we are so excited to be bringing you uh, episodes uh, during this month, one of the favorite months of the year, February. Uh, some might say it's the shortest month of the year, but uh, nevertheless, it is one of my favorite months uh, because we are celebrating the accomplishments of African Americans in this country and around the world. And so uh, we are so very excited 
to be sharing with you interview excerpts of interviews that we've had uh, from three of our favorite journalists on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. That's right, guys. That's why we call them Motor City Mavens. Motor City Mavens. And they have one thing in common. They have roots that are squarely uh, forged right here in the city of Detroit. Even though uh, their careers have taken them other places, uh, they started and got their start right here in the city of Detroit. And our first excerpt is going to be from Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Rochelle Riley, who is now the uh, culture, the, the city of Detroit director of culture and arts. And uh, we interviewed her uh, last year and uh, very excited to have had that opportunity to talk to her. And she talked about a number of great things that we'll be sharing with you during this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Shouts out to her. She follows us and we follow her on Twitter as well. And then we're going to be sharing with you an excerpt of an interview we had with iconic, legendary broadcaster John Mason, who is the voice of the Detroit Pistons. You all know Detroit basketball. <laughs> That's right, guys. We had an opportunity to interview him on last year as well. And uh, we, we enjoyed chopping it up with uh, iconic, legendary broadcaster John Mason. We'll be sharing with you an excerpt uh, from his interview as well. And then finally, last but certainly not least, a good friend of ours, uh, journalist for The Atlantic and podcast host of Jamel Hill is Unbothered, journalist, activist, and so much more, uh, Jamel Hill. Uh, we'll be sharing with you an excerpt of our interview with her uh, to end this week's show. So, guys, we've got a great, great show in store for you. But before we jump into any of that, guys, I got to say just a few words about the weather, man. It's un it's incredible how much snow that we've gotten within the past few days. I mean, it is incredible. Somebody called it uh, Snowmageddon. <laughs> it is snow everywhere and uh, I, I don't know I just uh, you know hunkered down here in the house and uh, just haven't gone anywhere I've just really been just enjoying looking out at it it looks beautiful on the outside but let me tell you it's a diff whole different ball of wax when you have to go out in it so uh, you know if you don't have to go out in it uh, please please stay home stay off the roads and uh, and stay safe most importantly but you know uh, this, is, this is how it is when you live in the Midwest uh, <laughs> states like Michigan, you get uh, trounced uh, with uh, all of this winter snow. But nevertheless, uh, we just wanted to uh, say something about snow. And again, hopefully in a couple of days, it'll be out of here and we'll be moving forward to a little bit better weather. I hope. <laughs> uh, I hope, I hope, I hope. Thank <laughs> you. 
in addition to the excerpts of interviews that we're going to be sharing with you uh, during this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show, we have got an excerpt of a powerful address that former President Barack Obama gave during the 50th anniversary of the march uh, at Selma uh, across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. I mean, this was a very powerful uh, address coming from the first black president of the United States. And, uh, you know, he took, in my mind, he is the embodiment of that bridge and the embodiment of the struggle uh, that uh, those men and women uh, had uh, back in the 1960s because uh, he is, again, the fulfillment of their dream, not just to vote, but to have the first black president of the United States. And, you know, it it was a very memorable address. And I can't wait to share uh, an excerpt of this powerful speech with you at the end of this week's show. And we hope you continue listening to the podcast, especially in the month of February. We're going to be, again, highlighting some of our favorite, favorite uh, interviews that we've had over the past four, uh, five years uh, that we have been doing uh, this podcast. And we're also working on uh, some more great interviews as well that we'll be sharing with you uh, in the weeks and the months ahead. So we hope you stay tuned Uh, again. We're seeing the numbers are continuing to climb and go up each and every week. Continue to share, share, and share some more. The podcast uh, that we're putting out, we certainly appreciate your support of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We don't take it for granted, nor do we take it lightly that you've taken time out of your day uh, to listen to uh, the inspiration and the motivation and empowering words that we share with you each and every week emanating from the Thinking Out loud radio show we thank you so so very much for all of your support And don't forget, you can listen to the Thinking Out Loud radio show podcast anywhere that you listen to your podcast and everywhere you listen to your podcast, including michaelnemons.com, which is our personal ministry website where you can watch excerpts of uh, interviews that we've had on our Thinking Out Loud uh, TV YouTube channel. You can read our Thinking Out Loud blog. You can purchase uh, books that we have available on our website and much, much more. So stop by michaelnemons.com, guys. We really, really appreciate it. Again, michaelnemons.com, and uh, you can listen to the podcast. Uh, be the first to listen to the episodes uh, that we emanate right here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Well, guys, we're getting ready to take a break. But when we come back, we're jumping right into my first excerpt. And that is from Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Rochelle Riley. We can't wait to share this excerpt with you. Don't you go anywhere. You're tuned in to one of the hottest radio shows online. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. Hello, my name is Maya Nimmons, and I want you to listen to my dad, Michael Nimmons, on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Every Tuesday at 8 p.m., available everywhere you listen to your podcast, and now available on the Detroit Praise Network website. 
You better listen to that little girl, the Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Black to the bone, to the core, to the root. I am to America a very strange fruit, born from a tree nearly wilted from its traps into a world content with racial labeling and criminal profiles. I search for truths that have been withheld from books produced to tell history. And it's a mystery how they miss me or people like me when our backs were broken from building this country and our hands were calloused from sowing seeds upon which men and women would bleed and still not be freed for another 300 years. I believe some mothers still cry those slaves' tears because fear and anger run deep and get passed down through generations like heirlooms. And in the heirlooms, the stench of discrimination as this nation falls deeper into complacency, denying black beauty and black pride. Black lives really do matter. Here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Rebranded, reinvented, reinvigorated, revived. The new MichaelNimmons.com website is finally here. And believe me, it's worth the wait. A state-of-the-art website where you can listen to the Thinking Out Loud radio show podcast, watch Thinking Out Loud TV, read the Thinking Out Loud blog, purchase books and swag, and so much more. Subscribe today and get a free gift on us. Stop by the new MichaelNimmons.com. It is sure to be a thought-provoking working experience. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were insufficient? Who told you that you were a loser? Who told you that you were a failure? Who told you that you were deficient? Who told you that you were nothing? Who told you that you were worthless? Who told you that you had no value? Who told you that you were you to believe? Who told you that you were naked? It's a dynamic, empowering, and inspiring book about identity that is a definite must-have. Pastor Nimmons talks about an identity crisis that dates as far back as the Garden of Eden. You don't want to miss these powerful insights into not just the problem of this identity crisis, but the discovery of the spiritual solution. Get your copy now, available on Amazon for just $14.95 or by visiting michaelnemons.com. Like a victim when you are already victorious. What is up, beautiful people? It's your girl, Lex Devine, in the building, kicking it with yours truly, Michael Nimmons, on the Thinking Out Loud radio and TV show. All right, y'all, stay tuned. You're tuned in to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked, keep it locked, keep it locked. 
We are back and as we said before the break, we're going to be sharing with you an excerpt from our interview with Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Rochelle Riley, who is currently the City of Detroit's Director of Arts and Culture and recipient of many other awards and accolades, including Detroit Ace Honors, which she conceives to be just like the Kennedy Center Honors, celebrates a lifetime achievement of some of Detroit's greatest creatives, as well as a 2021 inductee into the National Black Journalist Hall of Fame. In this excerpt, she's sharing with us a few of her most memorable moments as a journalist. Take a listen. Alright guys, we are back on another very special edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show and we have a very, very special guest on the line with us on tonight, a legendary, iconic journalist in the city of Detroit and um, dare say uh, around the world, uh, known uh, around the world and I'm so happy to have her on uh, the show with us on tonight but before we get into our interview we want to give her a proper introduction. Uh, she is a force of nature, uh, an author, essayist, blogger, and children's advocate who spent nearly a quarter of a century as a columnist when she left in 2019 to focus on arts and culture and entertainment. She is now the newly appointed director of arts and culture for the city of Detroit. And she left journalism with a bang, getting inducted into the North Carolina Media and Michigan Journalism Hall of Fame. She is a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, journalism journalist. Uh, she's an author of Burden, African Americans, and the Enduring Impact of Slavery, which has garnered rave reviews, and the upcoming book, That They Live, 20 African Americans Who Changed the World. She travels the country hosting conversations about the burden that America still bears because it refuses to deal with the aftermath of slavery. I want you to give a warm Thinking Out Loud radio show welcome to new friend of the show, award-winning, legendary, iconic journalist and newly appointed director of arts and culture for the city of Detroit, Rochelle Riley. Welcome to the Thinking Out Loud radio show, Miss Riley. Thank you so much. Wow, that was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show with us on tonight. Uh, I am humbled by um, by you and certainly by uh, your stature as a journalist and uh, all of the things that you have done. I know the bio uh, really doesn't do uh, you justice because uh, of all the things that you have done and accomplished uh, in your profession. So let's start here. I, uh, I really would like for you to share with our audience on tonight uh, who Rochelle Riley uh, really is. Uh, I, this is an opportunity for uh, our listeners to, to get a uh, formal education on uh, the stature of this uh, legendary iconic journalist, Rochelle Riley. Well, again, I have to thank you. I'm humbled to be on the show. And wow, after that introduction, I'm glad that, you know, we're doing this this way, because if I had to walk through a door right now, my head wouldn't fit. (laughs) 
for me, no matter what I do, no matter how I decide to either make a living or make a point, I'm always going to be about kids because we don't care enough about our children. Um, and even if I'm doing a different job, as I've taught my students through the years, and, and I've not been a professional teacher, I've been a teacher, you know, by necessity, I tell all of my young people, in, whether they're in high school or college, that no matter what you do for a living, you have to be a writer. So I've been proud to be a writer no matter what else I was doing. Uh, so I am a writer by trade and a warrior by necessity, and that does not change with my leaving daily journalism. It just means I'm going to be doing it a different way. Hmm. Wow. I know you are enjoying our interview with legendary and iconic journalist Rochelle Riley, the newly appointed director of arts and culture for the city of Detroit. We are so, so very happy to have her on the show with us on tonight. You know, uh, Miss Riley, you have covered so many stories, I'm sure, over um, your uh, expansive career as a journalist. I want you to tell our listeners uh, some 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 stories that you've covered that that still stand out in your mind even to this day. Well, I can tell you that when I became a columnist, my very first column was about Muhammad Ali. So it wasn't so much covering a story as having a chance to spend time with a true icon. Um, I was blessed enough to be working in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was an executive uh, at the newspaper there, the first African-American executive that they had. I was the deputy managing editor. But I also was uh, the mother of a two-year-old that I had adopted who... um, had moved to Louisville with me and she, she was spending her, her formative years, you know, two and three and four years old, uh, spending most of her time with a nanny while I was, you know, climbing this ladder to be a publisher. And I felt great pressure from other people to, to climb that ladder because there weren't many African-American editors and there weren't many African-American women editors or publishers. But, you know, I was I was feeling some kind of way about it because I said, I, I know that there's a responsibility for some of us to make sure we stay on these ladders and get into these positions where we can make decisions. But I also really missed writing and I missed being with my daughter. So I was in uh, suburban Washington, D.C. at a management conference uh, and, and my daughter was back in Louisville with the nanny and I called home like I did every day you know, to say hi and then to sing Moon River to her at night for her to go to sleep. And her nanny said, well, before you talk to her, I have to tell you something. I said, oh, God, what has happened? She said, I decided to surprise her. So I made a burger and fries for dinner. And when I put it on the table, her eyes got real big. And she said, I didn't know you could get this at home. I said, well, I'm getting off this ladder. I'm not interested in management. I need a job where my child knows that I can cook a hamburger. And I'm seeing her more than I'm seeing her now. He said, what do you want to do? And I'll never be able to tell you, but I said, I think I'd like to have my own column. So he gave it to me. And by becoming a better mom, I got the job of my lifetime. Wow. Wow. I know you are enjoying our interview with legendary and iconic journalist Rochelle Riley, newly appointed director of arts and culture for the city of Detroit. You know, um, you, you you say you interviewed um, Muhammad Ali. What were some uh, who were some other, uh, you know, iconic uh, you know, historic individuals that you covered 
uh, that you just are still pinching yourself about? Well, I, I can tell you, and before we leave uh, Ali, let me tell you that it wasn't just an interview with him, but my very first column called for the city of Louisville to have a museum for him because at that time there was nothing bearing his name except a little strip of street, you know, how it works in some cities where Martin Luther King Boulevard is in a part of town, but in the rest of the town it's named something else. That column ran and the mayor and other folks who knew better and who were embarrassed by it said, okay, it's time. And that helped lead to this effort that had been going on for some time to raise $80 million to build the Muhammad Ali Center, which now exists on the banks of the Ohio River. So I got to spend time with him in Berrien Springs, Michigan, at the farm where he used to train. And I got to go hang out with him, you know, when he was doing things. I mean, it was it was a, a very short sort of coverage period, but a lot of coverage. But other than Ali, I, I can tell you right away at the top of the list were two interviews with Barack Obama, one when he was a senator running for president and the other one in the Roosevelt room outside the Oval Office where I'm literally sitting across from, you know, our history's first African-American president. It, it doesn't get any better than that when you're a journalist. I'm sure it doesn't. And just listening to you talk about, um, you know, these rare uh, journalistic experiences is just giving me chills as well. You know, uh, having the opportunity to talk to uh, the greatest, uh, you know, and to uh, to also uh, sit down and talk with the first African American president of the United States uh, and Barack Obama. Uh, I'm sure had to be a um, uh, a very um, special moment for you as a journalist and uh, I know that uh, it's one that you'll never forget well I can tell you that it was not only a special moment as a journalist but a special moment as a child of grandparents who raised me uh, in, a, in a country where literally you know not that long ago African Americans were not allowed to read it was illegal to teach us to read and, and we had to excel and achieve and do things um, in spite of those barriers that were put up in various ways from, you know, from being enslaved to being discriminated against with Jim Crow laws to having to fight even now to continue to have the right to vote. As I sat there, you know, as a part of this interview, and I was actually one of 10 African-American journalists who got to sit with him that day and each of us got a question. And as I sat there, trying to really focus on being professional and getting ready to ask my question, I couldn't help but wonder what my grandparents who raised me, who were both gone by then, what they would have thought of that moment. And I was hoping that they were looking down and seeing that because it was something that they had worked for, for their offspring, their whole lives. They, they knew they'd never talked to a president, but the fact that they raised somebody who did, that's what was really special for me. Amazing. 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 I'm truly enjoying our interview with legendary and iconic journalist Rochelle Riley. So happy to have her on the Thinking Out Loud radio show with us on tonight. And uh, she is an award winning journalist. I mean, 
NABJ Ida B. Wells Award, uh, Pullum Editorial Fellowship, inductee of the Michigan Journalist Hall of Fame, National Headliner Award, National Scripts Award, Pulitzer Prize winner. Um, you know, Miss Riley, tell our listeners, you know, your career has nearly spanned a quarter of a century. You know, I want you to share with us what are you most proud of? Well, even though, you know, as a woman, we don't necessarily like to talk about it, but my career spans a lot more than that. I spent several years as a reporter and then as an editor before I became a columnist. So I got to do all three jobs. And I can tell you, as, as excited as I am about the Ali Museum and about interviewing senators and, and presidents and covering four mayors in Detroit, some of the most important interviews I've done have been with young people. <clears throat> and I can tell you... Um, one of the one of the moments that will always stay with me um, was when I convened a roundtable of high school students to talk about the Detroit public schools and what they were lacking and what these kids wanted and how great they were. And there was a young man there growing up in a bad neighborhood. People didn't expect, you know, great things from kids from that neighborhood or from his school. And he said, I want you to know, Miss Riley, that I'm going to go to Harvard. Well, fast forward, and this, this, this kid was a senior. Fast forward a year, I was doing a C-SPAN special uh, on a stage at Harvard. Uh, we were having a conversation about an upcoming election. And when it was over, this young man walked up and he said, Hi, Miss Riley, it's Brian Barnhill. I'm a freshman here. I told you I'd get to Harvard. <laughs> Literally trying to figure out why I was sobbing on this stage. Now, mind you, they had stopped taping, so this wasn't on television, thank goodness. But I was so moved by this kid and his resolve and his persistence and the fact that he's brilliant. Well, fast forward four years later, and I got a call from him, and he said, I've graduated from Harvard. I have all these job offers in other places, but I wanted to come home to Detroit, but I can't find a job. I was livid. I wrote a column chastising people for this kid who was brilliant and a Harvard graduate wanting to come back to Detroit when we needed young people to come back to Detroit and not being able to find a job. And he got 16 job offers. Mm. Wow. That's the power of the word. That's the power of crusading and the power of abusing your column for good. So that's one of those moments that, sticks with me because I will always all of Detroit's kids are my kids so I will always fight for them and that was one of those moments that made me feel really good you're listening to the thinking out loud radio show with pastor Michael Nimmons don't you dare touch that dial global advocate Martin Luther King III. So I, I think the future is is the, the best probably is yet to come, particularly coming out of this phase right now, coming out of, you know, the last four years of being dark and desolate. I mean, the last four years, theoretically, could cause, of have caused people to, to have lost faith, particularly if, if Trump had won. I think our, we wouldn't have a democracy if this man had been reelected. We bring you the best minds who deliver their best thoughts only on the Thinking Out Loud radio show.
Congratulations to Pastor Michael Nimmons for over 20,000 streams and downloads. Rate, review, and subscribe to the Thinking Out Loud radio show podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and MichaelNimmons.com. Tune in today. The Thinking Out Loud radio show. Giving voice to issues that matter to you. The people have spoken from Minneapolis, Minnesota to London, England, from New Zealand to New York City. Black Lives Matter and I Can't Breathe are the sentiment of people around the world. Dr. King was right. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We must do everything we can to continue to march, protest, and rally for justice. Let us march on until victory is won. An important message from the Thinking Out Loud radio show. excited because in this segment we're going to be sharing with you another one of my favorite uh, interviews with legendary and iconic uh, Motor City broadcaster John Mason. Mr. Mason joined Radio 1 from WJLB FM in Detroit where he had hosted the morning show for 18 years. His show has been consistently ranked the number one African American morning show in Detroit. Mr. Mason's first show on WDMK FM was broadcast on July 30th, 2021. He also remains the voice of the Detroit Pistons, Detroit Basketball. Excited fans night in and night out with his unique brand of entertainment and engaging personality. In this excerpt, Mason shares with us his insights into what inspired him to go into broadcast journalism and shares a very special moment that he had with several future celebrities who also happen to be his classmates discussing their plans for the future. Take a listen. Alright guys, we are back on a very, very special edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And guys, we have a stellar guest with us on tonight. Um, I just can't say enough about this gentleman here and how humbled I am and honored 
uh, for him to be with us on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. I want to give him a brief introduction. I can't wait to get into this interview with this iconic and legendary radio host. He is the public address announcer for the Detroit Pistons basketball games at Little Caesar Arena. He's best known for his 18 years as the host of Mason in the Morning Show, which airs on aired on WJLB, and for his colorful introductions and credited with coining the popular chant, Detroit Basketball. <laughs> Currently, Mason is the host, midday show host from 10 to 3. Uh, he is also the host of a syndicated weekend show entitled Once Upon a Time in Soul, which features Angie Starr, along with his famous radio characters and legendary artist stories, Once Upon a Time in Soul. is produced by John Mason and co-produced and engineered by Tobias Smith and recorded at Love to Flow Studios in Detroit. I want you to give a warm Thinking Out Loud radio show welcome to new friend of the show and good friend of ours, iconic, legendary radio host right here in Detroit, John Mason. Welcome to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Thank you, Pastor Michael, man. Good to be with you guys, eh? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. We got to give you a We're just so excited and thrilled to have this giant of a radio host with us on uh, the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And um, I just, uh, again, can't say enough about this 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 um, this radio legend. And, um, you know, we are um, going to start off again talking about your career, of course, and uh, just you know, you can't talk about Detroit history without talking about John Mason, of course. And um, and so the first question really deals with, you know, we always start off with with our guests about what they've done and how they got started. And uh, I think because of, you know, your iconic status here in the city, everybody knows a lot about you. But I want you to tell our listeners something they may not know about John Mason. Ah, originally from <laughs> Cleveland. Um, wow, it's, it's something because I try. I try to tell my whole story all the time, uh. but, 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 but maybe here's something. What guided me to radio? I was walking down the street when I was about 14 years old, and uh, I went past an apartment as I was about to enter a store. Well, actually, I was leaving the store, and I was going to take a, a different route home. And this apartment window was open and a commercial was playing. And I said, wow, I want to be the guy in the box. How do you do that? And that's what really uh, led me to radio. A commercial I heard, it was to me, it was a distinguished black gentleman. He sounded young and he sounded like it really meant something. And I said, mm-hmm. you know, that's what I want to do. I, I'd like to be on the radio or inside that radio and mean something to somebody. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and, and you must be looking at my notes because that was going to be my next question. How did you get started in radio? Um, well, I went, I went yeah. to uh, Kent State uh, out of high school and they had a radio and television program Uh Interesting. Uh, the radio program, 
uh, I uh, worked at it and worked at it, and they finally gave me a radio shift for the college station that only went through the college dorms. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one young lady from uh, Florida, she uh, had had enough money to always buy the current music. And the guy that came on after me, we both knew her. We didn't know each other at the time, but we both knew her. And we'd be trying to beat it to her door first to get the music. And he'd go, don't, don't let him have it first. Hold that for me. And I'd go, Sanjina, let me have that record first. And... It became a, a fun little battle. And, and he thought I liked her, so he tried to court her so that, so that he could get the music first. Oh. And uh, that person was Arsenio Hall. What? Yeah, Arsenio oh, Hall. Wow. We were on campus at the same time at Kent State. Uh, and, and it was interesting. And then so one day, we're, we're having lunch. Uh, just the people from Cleveland at our little college at Kent State, which Kent State was about 40 minutes from Cleveland. It was in a place called Ravenna, Ohio. Mm -hmm. So we're all sitting there and we're having lunch and all the people from Cleveland, we're all sitting there and saying, man, nothing happens out of Cleveland. We're going to have to do something. Now we're here to do something. And it became an extremely special group of people. People in Detroit may remember the young lady that was at lunch with us that day was a newscaster here, excuse me, named Catherine Adams. So Kathy Adams was uh, at Kent State, and I think she was on Fox 2 here. Uh, sitting next to her was a, was a gentleman who wanted to be a comedian, uh, and he ended up in a movie. His name was Ahmad Jamal, and he was in a movie called Car Wash. If you go back and look at that iconic movie, he's the one who plays the fly. He's got the big afro. The <laughs> with, with Richard Pryor? With, with uh, Richard Pryor, that's right. Wow. So wow. we're all having lunch and we got to do something. So there's Kathy. She, she makes it, uh, she does television news. She became the first female newscaster in Cleveland uh, that was African-American. So she had broken that and then she came to Detroit uh, and then Ahmad Jamal went on to, to have a career, but that, that car wash movie was stellar. Right. Sitting next to him was Arsenio Hall. I said, man, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go to Hollywood. I'm going to go to Hollywood. <laughs> and sitting next to Arsenio was another guy, and his whole thing was public relations. He was going to, to be the big public relations guy, and his name was Steve Harvey. What? So, yeah, we all said at a table for lunch one day saying nothing comes out of Cleveland that's good. We got to try to be somebody and do something. So it was quite a, a, a an esteemed class of people to sit around and just talking. You never know what what can happen, you know. So thank God, yeah. But that that's a beautiful conversation. A lot of people don't know that story. I always tell it because I'm very proud of what they've done, and, and I've had my fun, too. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mike, it was just, just, it was just like anybody and everybody else. we just sitting there saying, man, we got to do something. You know, take these classes serious. 
You know, we got to try to become something and do something. And the, the one story that Steve Harvey will not tell people. So mm-hmm. I'm going to share with you. Oh, wow. I'm going to share a Steve Harvey breakthrough story that he uh, never tells. Wow. Steve, Steve was a, as I, as I mentioned, was a um, public relations major. So he got an internship one summer and uh, he worked for a company and this particular company uh, brought in actors and stuff to do voiceovers for commercials. So Steve's driving this guy back to the airport because he was the gopher, go get coffee, go do this, go do that. So he's driving this guy back and the guy goes, oh snap, listen, I forgot my check. You gotta turn around. So Steve says, no problem. He turns it around. He goes back up in the office. He gets the check. He says, the guy left it. But they didn't seal the check, the envelope. They didn't seal it. So Steve peeks at the check and went, they're paying him this to do that? He said, I'm in the wrong business. And that was his real start to getting into comedy and uh, television and that kind of thing. That was wow. really his start. This whole thing about being homeless and that kind of thing is, is true, but not homeless in the sense of destitution. Homeless in the sense that he refused to to, to quit. Mm. And he just, you know, lived day by day. But it was a unique uh, group of people, man. And um, I always want to share those two stories. <laughs> Man, that is something else. That really is. And and it's always interesting to hear, um, you know, how individuals like yourself, celebrities like yourself got started because, you know, um, you always – are looking, you know, when we're going to get to this eventually, you know, people are are, are looking at your lives uh, for the, what they are right now, but right. they they fail to realize the journey that it took yeah. to get to where you are, and um and and yeah, all I, I was right, I was ahead. still working in Burger King uh, when I got my uh, <laughs> when I got my break, and the only reason the guy hired me is because. It was uh, the week of Thanksgiving, and he had given uh, everybody their Thanksgiving break, and then two people quit, and that's the only reason he took me in. So, uh, that, you know, so I had my I had my Burger King job. Uh, actually, I had two jobs when he took me in. I worked at the hospital. And uh, I worked in uh, ER. Well, not emergency, but I worked in surgery. Mm. So I was what they call the nurse's technical assistant. So I mm. did the, the uh, surgery job during the day. Uh, I did Burger King for about three hours in the evening. And I did radio where I could sneak it in when I first got started. But yeah. Wow. <laughs> I tell you, man, it's so good to hear those kinds of stories because they're motivation and inspiration for everyone to know that you should never, the Bible talks about never looking down on small beginnings because you, you, you always have to start somewhere. You have to always start somewhere and, and you never know where God is going to take you on that journey to where he wants you to be. 
Uh, so, so, so that yeah, that is this this wonderful to hear. You know, when they say God is good all the time, and all the time God is God, God is God is good, <laughs> right? Absolutely, absolutely, guys. I'm just enjoying my conversation with iconic, legendary radio host John Mason. So happy to have him on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And you know, you had such a stellar career in radio, uh, and of course, working in, with the Detroit Pistons. Uh, you've you've gotten Emmys. Uh, you you you've done so many great things. You know, I want you to tell our listeners what are you most proud of uh, in your career. I know there are a lot of things you could probably look at and talk about, but what are some things that you're most proud of as a journalist and broadcaster? It would be, it's not hard for me. Um, It was a story. Okay. So I had gone independent. Mm -hmm. uh, So I, I controlled my music and stuff for a while. So, um, I was going to, I had this show all set up to do. And as I'm driving to the studio, I forgot my music. So I'm like, oh no, I got this big special one hour set up to do something special and I forget the music. Mm. So I just opened my back door and just looked at the CDs I had on the floor. (laughs) that I never took out of my car. I pick up, I had like eight of them. I looked at all eight and just said, I'll I'll do the four tops today. Now, in saying that, I'm not prepared. I don't know enough about the story in depth. I know it on the surface, but not enough in depth. Anyway, I still decided to do it. I said, I'm going to do the four tops today. I, I, you know, I'll just, do what I know. And, and, and because no one ever really talks a lot about the four tops. We talk a lot about the temps and Supremes and that kind of thing. And, but you know, the four tops was a force. So I go in and I say, okay, I don't have my story, but I'm, I'm going to stay with it. I'm going to stay with him. God must be talking to me. Stay with this. So I do it. And, uh, I compare Levi Stubbs, the lead singer, to LeBron James. I said, he, at, at the time, he was a LeBron James of what he did because he led 95% of the songs. Uh, and he had such a strong baritone, such a beautiful voice, and could do a lot of things. And he was a very humble guy. And that kind of was my story. I didn't have many more words than that. And uh, at the end of the hour, uh, someone comes in the studio and they go, listen, Levi Stubbs children are outside. I'm like, good plan. He goes, no, 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 no. His family, they really want to see you. So I go in and say, oh, I hope I, I hope I didn't say something <laughs> and to disturb them. I know one of the big highlights in that story was something that I, I learned and that he, he did several records and he could do them in one take. And what they were to do was just, they would have to uh, exaggerate to him and say, well, you know, Levi, just, you know, let's see if we can get a better. They could never get, he could do them in one take, but they would do five or 10 takes sometimes. So his family, I said, I hope, I hope that didn't, didn't bother him. 
So they go, we want to tell you a story what happened today while you were doing that. They said, today is our father's birthday. Wow. I'm like, whoa, you're kidding. They go, no, this is my dad's birthday today. And you know he's incapacitated, so he can't speak, and he's in a wheelchair. Mm. And he said, the radio just so happened, he only turned it on because it was his birthday. That was the only reason he turned the radio on that day, that morning. So in the midst of him listening, he hears that I'm going to do this show, and they say, as I was doing it, he willed his wheelchair up real close to the radio, and he started crying. Wow. And that's, you know, when you think of stories or, you know, career highs, to me, that's it. That's the one. Wow. That's, that's, that's the God-chosen story. And what else would you rather do for somebody than to take your art and do something like that and touch them that way on that day. Wow, so amazing. That is yeah. truly amazing. Wow. Uh, that was a God thing that happened. It was. And, and, and of course, there's a, a million other things, but they don't, they don't come to mind first. And nothing is as more gratifying and, 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 you know, rewarding, God rewarding than that. That's just, I mean... You know, that's just a little bitty, uh, when they talk about uh, the mustard seed or a grain of sand, that's just a little bitty grain of sand of God's work to be able to do that. And the spirit was just in motion, said, yep, do it. Don't worry. I'm the one that canceled the, the, the music that you forgot. Keep going. So that's what God does. Amazing, amazing. I know you guys are enjoying our interview with iconic, legendary radio uh, radio host Mason. He's on the Thinking Out Loud radio show with us on tonight, chopping it up with him. We're going to take our first break of the night, but when we come back, we're getting right back into our, our interview with this great, iconic radio hoax. You don't want to go anywhere. You're tuned in to one of the hottest radio shows online. It's Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. Don't, 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 touch that dial. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. This is Michael Eric Dyson, and when I'm in Detroit, I listen to the Thinking Out Loud radio show, dropping that knowledge, giving that inspiration, giving us that enlightenment. Nobody does it like Brother Michael does it. Do your thing. Holla. Peace. Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Stay tuned for more motivation, more inspiration, and more empowerment on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked. Refined, rebranded, reinvented, reinvigorated, revived. 
the new michaelnimmons.com website is finally here. And believe me, it's worth the wait. A state-of-the-art website where you can listen to the Thinking Out Loud radio show podcast, watch Thinking Out Loud TV, read the Thinking Out Loud blog, purchase books and swag, and so much more. Subscribe today and get a free gift on us. Stop by the new michaelnimmons.com. It is sure to be a thought-provoking experience. Black to the bone, to the core, to the root. I am to America a very strange fruit. Born from a tree nearly wilted from its traps into a world content with racial labeling and criminal profiles. I search for truths that have been withheld from books produced to tell history. And it's a mystery how they miss me or people like me when our backs were broken from building this country. And our hands were calloused from sowing seeds upon which men and women would bleed and still not be freed for another 300 years. I believe some mothers still cry those slaves' tears. Cause fear and anger run deep and get passed down through generations like heirlooms. And in the heirlooms the stench of discrimination as this nation falls deeper into complacency. Denying black beauty and black pride by... Black lives really do matter. Here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Don't, 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 don't touch that dial. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. We are back, and I know you've been enjoying the Motor City Mavis edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show as we've been celebrating Black History Month, sharing with you excerpts from uh, interview clips from Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Rochelle Riley, legendary and iconic broadcaster John Mason, and rounding out the three interview clips we'll be sharing with you in this week's edition of the podcast. We're closing it out with my good friend, journalist, and podcast host of Jamel Hill is Unbothered journalist Jamel Hill co-founder of Lodge Freeway Productions she's working on and currently been featured on several high profile projects including We Need to Talk About Bill Cosby a four part documentary directed by W. Kamal Bell the comic TV host and filmmaker and she's also working on a project with former 49ers QB and activist Colin Kaepernick and famed director and filmmaker Spike Lee in this excerpt coming up she talks about the significance of President Biden picking not just a woman, but a black woman as his running mate and eventual vice president of the United States. Take a listen. I'm still reeling um, over the past four years that we had to go through um, as a nation with this man at the helm. I, I, I just can't believe that he was elected 
back in 2016 and that there were 75 million people still wanting to give him another opportunity to um, continue to destroy this country uh, as if, you know, he deserved another another chance with, with so many so much blood on his hands as it is, uh, you right. know, uh, 14, 15 million uh, deaths as a result of this uh, deadly pandemic, you know, and so many more uh, lives that have been affected by COVID-19 because of the ineptitude of leadership in the White House. So I agree with you um, and, and you don't want to be right about it, what, you, what your thoughts were, but unfortunately you were right about that. And um, it's just sad, but but I'm, I'm thankful that uh, he is a distant memory now and we can move forward with a new administration. And speaking of that, um, this is Women's History Month and I want to find out from you, um, you know, what, uh, how important was it for uh, President Joe Biden to pick not just a woman uh, as his vice president, but a black woman as his vice president? Uh, this was historic, and that's probably an understatement. You know, I live in Los Angeles, so uh, for I moved here in 2018. So Kamala Harris was my senator, <laughs> you know, and I've been uh, You've interviewed her, too. Yeah, I say I've been very fortunate because I've gotten to know her a little bit. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's I, I want to put the, her appointment in perfect historical context in the mm -hmm. sense that this is something that could be a gateway to even something more historic happening, as in we could be looking at our first, you know, uh, president that's a black woman in Kamala Harris. Uh, that could certainly be a, a, a strong possibility. Um, or it could be Stacey Abrams. <laughs> I think it could be one of those two women easily, right? Oh, right. You're Nobel Peace Prize winner. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at what this represents, you know, much like there, was, there were a lot of black men who seeing, uh, you know, President Barack Obama elected, struck a different chord with black men, I think. Then he, I mean, with black people, period, for sure, but definitely with black men who Absolutely. Could, could look at him, uh, could see, you know, uh, despite all the things that uh, the former president went through, but to, to have a black man get to that level, it, it meant a lot, especially the young black boys in particular. So, it's the same with Kamala Harris, where is this is symbolic for so many reasons. Um, you know, black women, this is a time in our country where black women, um, they're the only ethnic group to actually own more businesses than their male ethnic counterpart partners, uh, counterparts, excuse me. So there are more black women that own businesses than, than black men, which is very uncommon in the gender dynamic among all, you know, kind of races. Uh, black women um, are now the most educated group in the country. And so you have, and we see this politically, there's a different level of, of political mobilization happening among black women. You have Stacey Abrams, as I mentioned, who um, after losing, or I should say being cheated out of being governor a few years ago, right. decided to put boots to the ground. And because of her work and the work of Latasha Brown, who is a co-founder of Black Voters Matter because of the WNBA players, deciding to throw their support behind Reverend Raphael Warnock in that critical Senate race. Right. All these black women and women of color mobilizing um, politically to take charge. And I think that is 
very telling about this moment that we're in. Like a lot of black women in particular are really stepping into their power. And Kamala Harris is the latest iteration of that. She's been a first practically her whole career, you know, Mm. first attorney general of California. Um, As it was, I believe she was only uh, the the, the 10th or the 11th uh, black U.S. Senator ever. There's only been, oh, actually, she's not number 11. I think she's nine or 10. I think it was Cory Booker and uh, it, it went President Barack Obama when he was elected uh, U.S. Senator um, in, you know, for Illinois. Then it was mm-hmm. Cory Booker and I think then it was Kamala Harris, right? Wow. So the fact that we've only had 11 African-American senators in U.S. history, 11. Mississippi, strangely, had the first one in 1870, haven't elected one since. So I'm like, okay. But wow. anyway, I say all this to say is that when you look at what this means and for her to, what she had, what she had to achieve to get there. I mean, this was noticed with Barack Obama. You know, he had to be, uh, you know, he had to go to Harvard. He was, I think he was the first um, African-American to uh, lead the Harvard Law Review. Uh, right. Senator, president of Harvard Law Review, correct. Yeah, president. Yep, he was the first one. So, great family, obviously. Um, All the things he had to do, all the ways he had to be perfect to get the president. Hence why Donald Trump's election was such a, frankly, such a slap in the face because all he had to do was be rich and white. Right, that was all the qualification he needed. Barack Obama had to be the best at everything. Same thing with Kamala Harris. She had to be the best at everything (laughs) to get to this point. And so there's a lot of, um, there's a sense certainly of relief in the sense that black women especially over the course of the last four years, have done a lot to politically demand attention and demand their own action items. And to see that pay off in Kamala Harris um, was a moment for all of us. And, but the other part I'll say to this, because I feel like we did this with Barack Obama, is when Barack got elected, a lot of us took our foot off the gas. Um, mm. In the sense, like, we were also energized, you know, to vote for him and, and, in both 08 and in 2012, but that energy during the four years wasn't there. And it wasn't just about voting, it was about staying engaged politically, period. And we didn't mm. do that, which is why he lost the majority very quickly as soon as he got off it, in office. Mm. We didn't vote, right? We didn't, you know, we didn't vote and that didn't allow him to consistently get some of his important policies, policies that were important for our community across. And for that matter, we didn't demand accountability the same way when he was there. And what I'd like to see is with Kamala Harris, that that support not only be there, but also that accountability, because I think that's the other important part. Voting is just one cog in the in the wheel. It's not the whole wheel. And we have to make sure that, frankly, we approach every year here on out with the same energy we had in 2020, not just regarding the election but just about how we mobilize as a community around George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, about really holding the people in power accountable. It's easy to do it when it's an election at stake. It's so much harder for our interests to be there and our energy to be there when they're in office because we start feeling that sense of release and satisfaction. You know, a lot of people I understand, they celebrated with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were elected. Given the last four very emotional years, I get it. But I didn't celebrate. I mean, I, I, of course, I recognized the achievement. I should say I, I recognized it and was very proud to have been able to witness this moment in my lifetime. But I also felt a sense of 
we got a lot of work to do. A mm. lot. There's a lot that happened the last four years that need to be done. Frankly, there's a lot in this country that's happened the last 400 years that we never have addressed, period, that need to be undone. Mm-hmm. And the only way that this is going to happen is that we really have to commit to breaking systems. It can't be reform. It can't be, um, you know, trying to add Band-Aids that have proven they don't work. It's got to be a hard, uncomfortable break. And so I hope that is the energy that the election of Kamala Harris has stirred in all of us. Um, because this is a long road that we have ahead of us. I completely agree with you. And, and yes, uh, it's, it's, it has, uh, it has, um, been quite uh, uh, emotional for years. I just uh, interviewed Martin Luther King III um, a few days ago and asked him that question about, you know, how how is it that, um, well, well, given the former president, President Trump's administration and, and what Republicans allowed him to do and basically run roughshod in their party, um, you know, to, to kind of, uh, you know, give your perspective on, you know, what has happened and has he, how far has he put this country back, you know, and, and are we, will we be able to recover? And surprisingly, he said that, yes, there are some, he has done some irreparable damage uh, to uh, not just the country, but to the Republican Party in some respects. But he was very optimistic about the country being able to recover and, um, and, 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 well, well. and yeah. And coming no, back. I'm saying, well, I'm, I'm glad that he was mm-hmm. optimistic because, I, you know, to be perfectly honest, my optimism comes and goes. And because mm. because what the element I, I think people need to understand and be very clear about this. Donald Trump wasn't the bug. He was the feature. OK, <laughs> so we can't treat this like a one time thing. Everything that he did, he just did it in a more boorish outlandish, way. impolite mm-hmm. way, correct? Mm-hmm. But everything that he did and talked about, previous Republican administrations have done. Have done. You know, Ronald Reagan, well, I, I would say this, Donald Trump in many ways was the, was the twin of Ronald Reagan, okay? Ronald mm-hmm. Reagan created Make America Great Again. That was his slogan, mm-hmm. and we forget that. And when we, especially now that we know the true essence and the true motive behind the quote unquote war on drugs and the war right. on frankly black people in inner cities, right? Ronald Reagan engineered that. Mm. All right. And before he got to it, Richard Nixon did it. Right. So this Tricky is a dick. line that has been in this party for a long time. The only part they rejected is that they did it is that Donald Trump did it disavowing political norms that they assumed stupidly that he would follow. The difference is that Richard Nixon, he believed in government. Ronald Reagan believed in government. He believed that government and government institutions and, and, and presidential decorum and all these things. But the essence and the philosophies, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, George Bush, they all the same. <laughs> like, all the same. And I'm not nutting Democrats off the hook either because many of what they have done has just been the softer version of what the conservatives have done. They're mm-hmm. just nicer about it, right? <laughs> right so right. we need to be very clear about 
um, you know, making sure that we understand that, that what Donald Trump uncovered or what he further uncovered was already percolating. He just brought it to the surface. And now that he's brought it to the surface, the Republican Party has a big problem on their hands. It's not even a problem. It's actually a problem we, they want. We need to stop treating them like they're victimizing this. They're not. They want those 70 million uh, people who support Donald Trump. They want those people. Right. And so that's why you have people like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and all these other spineless Republicans refusing to have condemned the big lie. The big lie being that Joe Biden stole this election. They're not right. going to do that because they want to keep his base in play. They're exactly. not going to distance themselves from Donald Trump because they want the 70 million um, people. So you will never see like everybody who thought that once he was out of office, the real Republicans would show up. The real Republicans have been showing up. Mm. <laughs> but now the problem that we have as a nation is that it's hard. You know, I, I understand why he did this. Joe Biden, he had to call for unity because frankly, what else can he do? So, but it, you can't unify with people unless there are basic truths that we all agree on, right? right. One of those basic truths has got to be he actually won the election and won it fairly and won it the right way and, and won it, he won it. Right. We can't even agree on that. How, on that. Unify. <laughs> we, how can we unify, right? We, right. we you know, it, it, it very much mirrors some of these racial conversations that we try to have in America. The problem with why police brutality is still not an issue that all Americans see as a problem is because some of us don't think it's bad. That's mm. the problem. Mm. We can't, we can't unify. Mm. If you don't agree that it's not a good idea that the police be allowed to, with impunity, brutalize black people, armed or unarmed, right? Mm. <laughs> you know, we say unarmed and it's just like, okay, but even in dangerous situation, there's, there's protocol. And we have seen plenty of white people with dangerous objects, doing <laughs> dangerous things, walk away without being murdered. Without being so Restraint is possible. We saw that with the Capitol riot. Exactly. Restraint is possible. Restraint is possible. Okay? It's possible. We saw it, okay? So if we can't agree on police accountability, then that's why we can't, that's why it turns into a debate when a black person is killed. That's why Breonna Taylor is still a debate. Right. right? That's why Trayvon Martin, even though I know it wasn't someone who was a, a law enforcement officer, that's why that's still a debate. Because still everybody debate. don't agree it was wrong. Right. And I'm like, if we can't even agree it's wrong that a 16 year old is killed by a, a neighborhood watch dude, then what kind of conversation can we actually have? We can't have one. So Preach. unfortunately in this country, there are too many times where racism becomes a debate. We still got people who think that the civil war happened because of states' rights and not because of slavery. We mm. can't even agree on that. <laughs> All right. We know what it was. Right. So as long as we cling to that, as long as we protect whiteness and as long as we value and when I say we, I obviously don't mean black people. I really mean white people. As long as white people value their wh whiteness over the humanity of everybody else, we're going to be in this moment forever. It just is what it is. You tuned in to the Out Loud Radio Show. Keep it locked. Keep it locked. Keep it locked. 
You're listening to the Thinking Out Loud radio show with Pastor Michael Nimmons. Don't you dare touch that dial. You don't have to be Team Malcolm or Team Martin. I think you should be both. You know, so I think the Black community needs both. I think that King is much more revolutionary and radical than the public perceives him to be. And I think Malcolm is is a much more um, brilliant and 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 um, courageous individual who can be radically pragmatic and revolutionarily pragmatic to save black lives while trying to defeat white supremacy than people give him credit for. So um, that's why I try to show Malcolm is absolutely this prosecuting attorney, but he's also a black America statesman too. He's going to the Middle East, he's going to Africa. Um, he's schooling the young Cassius Clay before he's Muhammad Ali on what Africa means, you know, what his identity means. So. I think I put them together because I thought there was much more convergence than divergence. And I think when you frame them the other way, you hurt um, understanding of the movement. We bring you the best minds who deliver their best thoughts only on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were insufficient? Who told you that you were a loser? Who told you that you were a failure? Who told you that you were deficient? Who told you that you were nothing? Who told you that you were worthless? Who told you that you had no value? Who told you that you were you to believe? Who told you that you were naked? It's a dynamic, empowering, and inspiring book about identity that is a definite must-have. Pastor Nimmons talks about an identity crisis that dates as far back as the Garden of Eden. You don't want to miss these powerful insights into not just the problem of this identity crisis, but the discovery of the spiritual solution. Get your copy now, available on Amazon for just $14.95 or by visiting michaelnemons.com. Like a victim when you are already victorious. What is up, beautiful people? It's your girl, Lex Devine, in the building, kicking it with yours truly, Michael Nimmons, on the Thinking Out Loud radio and TV show. All right, y'all, stay tuned. It's time. 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 For the Thinking Out Loud radio show, Thought of the Week. Back in 2015, President Obama gave a powerful speech on the other side of the Edmund Pettus Bridge, marking the 50th anniversary of this historic march for voting rights in this country during the Civil Rights Movement. This speech resonates with us even today as we're talking about voting rights in this country. We want to share an excerpt of this powerful speech with you in this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Together we can address unfair sentencing and overcrowded prisons. 
and the stunted circumstances that robbed too many boys of the chance to become men and robbed the nation of too many men who could be good dads and good workers and good neighbors. With effort, we can roll back poverty and the roadblocks to opportunity. You know, Americans don't accept a free ride for anybody. Nor do we believe in equality of outcomes, but we do expect equal opportunity. And if we really mean it, if we're not just giving lip service to it, but if we really mean it and we're willing to sacrifice for it, then yes, we can make sure every child gets an education suitable to this new century. One that expands imaginations and lifts sights and gives those children the skills they need. We can make sure every person willing to work has the dignity of a job and a fair wage and a real voice and sturdier rungs on that ladder into the middle class. And with effort, we can protect the foundation stone of our democracy for which so many marched across this bridge, and that is the right to vote. Right now, in 2015, 50 years after some, there are laws across this country designed to make it harder for people to vote. As we speak, more such laws are being proposed. Meanwhile, the Voting Rights Act, the culmination of so much blood, so much sweat and tears, the product of so much sacrifice, in the face of wanton violence, the Voting Rights Act stands weakened. Its future subject to political rancor. How can that be? The Voting Rights Act was one of the crowning achievements of our democracy. The result of Republican and Democratic efforts. President Reagan signed its renewal when he was in office. President George W. Bush signed its renewal when he was in office. 100 members of Congress have come here today to honor people who are willing to die for the right to protect it. If we want to honor this day, let that 100 go back to Washington and gather 400 more and together pledge to make it their mission to restore that law this year. That's how we honor those on this bridge. Of course, our democracy is not the task of Congress alone, or the courts alone, or even the president alone. If every new voter suppression law was struck down today, we would still have here in America one of the lowest voting rates among free peoples. Fifty years ago, registering to vote here in Selma and much of the South, man, guessing the number of jelly beans in a jar, the number of bubbles on a bar of soap, it meant risking your dignity and sometimes your life. What's our excuse today for not voting? How do we so casually discard the right for which so many fought? How do we so fully give away our power, our voice in shaping America's future? Why are we pointing to somebody else when we could take the time just to go to the, the polling places? 
give away our power. Fellow marchers, so much has changed in 50 years. We have endured war and we fashioned peace. We've seen technological wonders that touch every aspect of our lives. We take for granted conveniences that our parents could have scarcely imagined. But what has not changed is the imperative of citizenship. That willingness of a 26-year-old deacon or a Unitarian minister or a young mother of five to decide they love this country so much that they'd risk everything to realize its promise. That's what it means to love America. That's what it means to believe in America. That's what it means when we say America is exceptional. For we were born of change. We broke the old aristocracies, declaring ourselves entitled not by bloodline, but endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. We secure our rights and responsibilities through a system of self-government of and by and for the people. That's why we argue and fight with so much passion and conviction, because we know our efforts matter. We know America is what we make of it. Look at our history. We are Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea, pioneers who braved the unfamiliar followed by a stampede of farmers and miners and entrepreneurs and hucksters. That's our spirit. That's who we are. We're Sojourner Truth and Fannie Lou Hamer, women who could do as much as any man and then some. And we're Susan B. Anthony who shook the system until the law reflected that truth. That is our character. We're the immigrants who stowed away on ships to reach these shores. The huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Holocaust survivors. Soviet defectors. The lost boys of Sudan. We're the hopeful strivers who cross the Rio Grande because we want our kids to know a better life. That's how we came to be. We're the slaves who built the White House and the economy of the South. We're the ranch hands and cowboys who opened up the West. The countless laborers who laid rail and raised skyscrapers and organized for workers' rights. We're the fresh-faced GIs who fought to liberate a continent. And we're the Tuskegee Airmen and the Navajo Code Talkers and the Japanese Americans who fought for this country even as their own liberty had been denied. We're the firefighters who rushed into those buildings on 9-11. The volunteers who signed up to fight in Afghanistan and Iraq. We're the gay Americans whose blood ran in the streets of San Francisco and New York just as blood ran down this way. We are storytellers, writers, poets, artists who abhor unfairness and despise hypocrisy and give voice to the voiceless and tell truths that need to be told. We're the inventors of gospel, dance, blues, Bluegrass and country and hip-hop and rock and roll and our very own sound with all the sweet sorrow and reckless joy of freedom. We are Jackie Robinson 
enduring scorn and spike cleats and pitches coming straight to his head and stealing home in the World Series anyway. We are the, the people Langston Hughes wrote of who build our temples for tomorrow, strong as we know how. We are the people Emerson wrote of who for truth and honor's sake stand fast and suffer long. Who are never tired so long as we can see far enough. That's what America is. Not stock photos or airbrushed history or feeble attempts to define some of us as more American than others. We respect the past, but we don't pine for the past. We don't fear the future. We grab for it. America's not some fragile thing. We are large in the words of women, containing multitudes. We are boisterous and diverse and full of energy, perpetually young in spirit. That's why someone like John Lewis said that ripe old age of 25 could lead a Marty March. And that's what the young people here today listening all across the country must take away from this day. You are America. Unconstrained by habit and convention. Unencumbered by what is because you're ready to seize what ought to be. For everywhere in this country there are first steps to be taken. There's new ground to cover. There are more bridges to be crossed. And it is you, the young and fearless at heart, the most diverse and educated generation in our history who the nation is waiting to follow. Because Selma shows us that America's not the project of any one person. Because the single most powerful word in our democracy is the word we. We the people. We shall overcome. Yes, we can. That word is owned by no one. It belongs to everyone. Oh, what a, what a glorious task we are given to continually try to improve this great nation of ours. 50 years from Bloody Sunday, our march is not yet finished. But we're getting closer. 239 years after this nation's founding, our union is not yet perfect. But we are getting closer. Our job's easier because somebody already got us through that first mile. Somebody already got us over that bridge. When it feels the road's too hard, when the torch we've been passed feels too heavy, we will remember these early travelers and draw strength from their example. And hold firmly to the words of the prophet Isaiah. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We honor those who walked so we could run. We must run so our children soar. And we will not grow weary. For we believe in the power of an awesome God. And we believe in this country's sacred promise. 
May he bless those warriors of justice no longer with us and bless the United States of America. Thank you, everybody. message from former President Barack Obama as he delivered this amazing speech back in 2015 marking the 50th anniversary of the historic march for voting rights in this country made by some very, very courageous black men and women, including sainted civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and former Congressman John Lewis. We thank them so much for their sacrifice and their commitment and dedication to the struggle. We hope you enjoyed the Motor City Mavens edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio shows. We kick off Black History Month right here on the podcast featuring excerpts from Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Rochelle Riley, legendary iconic broadcaster John Mason, and Emmy Award winning journalist Jamel Hill. So happy to have been able to interview them in the past. And of course, you can always go back to our Thinking Out Loud radio show, our archives and listen to our over 200 episodes uh, including any three of those any one of those three as well and uh, I believe with Jamel there was a two-part uh, interview with her um, and uh, even with uh, Rochelle Riley I think it was a two-parter with her as well so guys these are some very great interviews we encourage you to go back and listen to their shows and and um I mean, they had so much to say, so much insights into to their profession and careers that you can learn uh, from. And again, this information was absolutely freely given uh, and, uh, and is freely received as well. So we encourage you to check it out. Again, our podcast is available everywhere you listen to uh, your podcast, including michaelnemons.com. And uh, just go to our website and click the podcast menu option. And there you'll be able to listen to the over 200 episodes of the Thinking Out Loud radio show right from the convenience of our own website. Thank you so very, very much for tuning in this week. We're going to be back next week with another great show in store for you. And let me tell you guys, just a word of uh, insight. We are working on some big interviews. I'm telling you, I can't let the cat out the bag just yet, but I got some big interviews coming. And we'll be sharing with them with you in just a little bit. But you got to stay tuned. You got to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TOL Radio Host MSN. You got to like our Thinking Out Loud Facebook fan page at Thinking Out Loud HQ on Facebook. Make sure you do that, guys, and share, share, share. When you see our posts, make sure you share it. And uh, we'll make sure that you be the first to know who we're going to be interviewing next. And be sure to tune in each and every week so that way you won't miss one episode, one minute, one second of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. How does that sound? 
<laughs> also, do us a favor, guys, while I have your attention. Go to those uh, websites where you are listening to your podcast, whether it be Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, and write us a review. Take a few, a few minutes. Write us a review. We very much appreciate it. Rate, review, and subscribe to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Your support helps us to increase our exposure across the world wide web. We would very, very much appreciate it. Next week, guys, again, we're going to be coming back with another great show in store for you. So stay tuned for that. Well, guys, we're getting ready to get out of here. But before we do, as always, remember, if you think it, you can believe it. If you can believe it, you can see it. If you can see it, you can be it. If you can be it, you can achieve it. The power rests within you. The mind's most powerful muscle in your body. Use what you got to get what you want. The power is in you. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. To get more info about the show and the ministry, visit michaelnemons.com. Want to book radio host Michael Nemons for your next special event? Send an email to contact at michaelnemons.com. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 p.m. for the Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you.